The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. My name is Gregory Aji, and uh, we have Mr. Darian Douglas in the house. Darian, how you feeling? Oh, Greg, you know, I feel beautiful, man. I'm the greatest ever. What can I say, Greg? How you doing? You know, man, look, I'm <laughs> glad you feel that way because, look, hey, you are the man. I'm not going to argue that <laughs> as much as I want to. <laughs> oh, man, nice to see you, dude. Yeah, bro. Yeah, man. Happy to see you, too, man. Today, we got a very special guest, Greg. It's one of my one of my best friends up here in New York, man. We are uh, oh, killing yeah, man, we we played for several years at this church deep in Brooklyn, and uh, he he's a he's an amazing composer, an amazing musician, and also most importantly, he's a, he's a really great person, man. Uh, yeah, he he grew up over in Connecticut, and uh, he's been in New York for about about nine years, doing his thing. He he's interesting, man. I want to kind of get into this because before he decided to you know go all in on the piano he was working in in the as a pastry chef wow and so also also he was a bodybuilder and, and you i mean he was he was, <laughs> he was huge man wow. I, I wish i wish he sent me some pictures cuz it's kind of unbelievable when you see him now he's still in shape but he's he's skinny he was huge i'm just so glad we're finally going to have our bodybuilding uh podcast <laughs> That's right. Tonight's the bodybuilding podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about bodybuilding, baking stuff, getting girls, and uh, <laughs> his brand new record. I can tell you that. But without further ado, why don't we welcome Russell Cranes to the Working Artist Project? What up, Russell? What's up, guys? Great to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this. I know, man. I'm excited, man. Yeah, man. Me too. Man, so- what, what did you use to bench press? Let's let's just get ready. <laughs> Um, at my best, three twenty. Like you would do it, like one, like one rep, or would you do like a, like a whole set? One rep of three twenty. I could do um like two eighty five for maybe four, four or five reps. Wow. Yeah, I was a big boy. I weighed two hundred ten pounds. I mean, Greg, for years, Russell was telling me he was swole. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I still got it a little bit, saying? but not like, not like before. Definitely not like before. But, you know, I was, I mean, I'm only, I'm 5'9". So like 210, 5'9". That's, you know, that's a lot to carry around oh, yeah. on a 5'9 on a frame. Yeah, are there any parallels between bodybuilding and playing music? What's Because because I know a couple of musicians who are deep into it. Well, I think the thing that's definitely related, um, the common ground between the two is that it takes so much discipline to do it. Like I've heard so many people say over the years, like, oh, I don't want to lift weights because I'll get all big. Like, no, you won't. Unless you really do it with dedication, not much will happen. You have to do it consistently. You have to change your, your diet. You have to sleep a lot. I mean, it's really like a lifestyle. So I think the discipline that goes into um lifting weights is, is parallel with music because no matter how talented you are, you've got to shed your, your fucking ass off in order to get good. And then you'll feel like you've arrived for a second and then you realize how much you don't know. And then you're back to the drawing boards. So it's really just the discipline. I think Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, man, you know, one thing that I've noticed as a, you know, I like to work out. I've never been on your level as far as body (laughs) and all that stuff goes, but it seems like a lot of times in musicians, Greg, to answer your question again, and, you know, like extreme athletes have one thing in common. Only one thing in their life is together. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you see the gym bros are like, and it's like you go to their house, it's all fucked up. Like they mama hate them. Like, it, like everything in their life else in their life is in shambles. You know, I know you guys. Heard. See, Russell knows. 
I don't. I have definitely. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. I was going to say too, man, I used to think like that about shedding too. Like I never wanted to practice too much because I didn't want to get too good and become too, you know, too, too good. <laughs> what do you play? Uh, which instrument do you play? I play um, clarinet and saxophone. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. cool. Which is, which is meeting. I was, as, as the, as the thing was happening, I was reading your bio and I was like, damn, you studied with Jerry Allen. That's so sick. <laughs> Yeah, man, she, you know, speaking of discipline, she really was the teacher for me that, that I learned about, you know, I learned what discipline was from uh, working with her, because as soon as I met her, and I went in, um, into Michigan, I played for her, and she just looked at me and kind of shook her head. And she goes, All right, we got a lot of work to do. And she had me transcribe i never wrote anything down but she had me learn five bud powell solos in all 12 keys and man that is that is some work i mean that took me two years it was two years of work basically and that was just one thing that i did with her um and when i would play for her she would stop me it really reminded me i i used i i took some act i i've studied acting too and it reminded me actually of what it was like to study acting because as you're up there and you're in front of someone, uh, an acting coach, they'll stop you at every moment they can when you're not in it, you know? And she would do the same thing to me. She said, she'd stop me. You're not focused. You're not focused. And it really affected the way that I lived, I think, because it, it made me much more detail oriented. Um, I think, having a strong attention to detail is the thing that separates the wheat from the chaff. Really mm. the best people in any field, their minds are razor sharp when it comes to detail in what, in the thing that they do. Mm. Man. That's, yeah. That's, so, that's, so she, she kicked my butt. That's beautiful, man. How long, how long were you uh, studying with her? I studied with her for, um, I think three years because I didn't go to Michigan for my first year of college. I went to new school for my first year in New York because I got in and they gave me a, a sizable scholarship and it seemed like the right move at the time, but it wasn't. Um, so, you know, I ended up then going there and I was with her for three years and, you know, it was, it was, it was an amazing experience. I didn't appreciate it at the time, to be honest. Um, I was, I was, a, I was a, punk ass motherfucker. You know? <laughs> like I had a bad, I had a shitty attitude when I was like 19, you know? Um, but you know, you, you get better. You thought you knew everything. I, I, I feel like Russell, you one of those type, type of people that just was like, man, I know everything. Man. I'm a bad motherfucker. You know, now you can tell me Jerry Allen. <laughs> I, I did have that attitude a little bit and luckily um, I'm malleable because I was humbled over and over again. And, um, you know, I, there, there's this amazing, Mike. I'm a big fan of, I like boxing and I love Mike Tyson. And there's this amazing quote of his that I heard recently on his podcast, actually. It's not from his fighting days, um, even though I guess he is kind of fighting now, but he says something like, um, life is, I don't know. It's something about the importance of being humbled. Life is not, he says, life is not about being humble. It's about being humbled. I, I think that that's a, a lesson that carries on from the time you're born until the time you die. As a, you know, as a self-proclaimed motherfucker, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a teacher. I teach at high school. Well, I'm, I'm, this is my last week at high school for a minute. But man, I've always been perplexed by the difference between kids who have that immediate, um, they, they seem to be in touch with being humble and have a, a deep sense of humility. And then oftentimes it seems to take like, which kind of what you're saying too, like a, a, a little extra work to get to that point. Um, man, I'm just curious, like what, what is that experience like too? Like maybe not, do you, is it like that you didn't want guidance from people or what was what does that mean to you? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, I think one thing that's kind of missing in our generation versus previous generations of musicians is mentorship. Mm. Um, I, I don't really have a mentor, um, at least not in music. And But to answer your question more specifically, I, I think that, well, I, I'm 
incredibly OCD. Um, I always have been and incredibly perfectionistic. And so I feel like I've, I've always had this attitude of like, I want, I want to get it myself. I, I have to do this myself. And it was also, you know, the way I was raised, um, you know, my parents were pretty tough, pretty tough love. And, um, so I, I think I always had this sort of like, I don't, I, I don't need help. I, I got this, you know, this kind of attitude. And I think that there's some beauty to that, but there's also a time where we need help too. And I think that that's part of growing up and humility and just realizing, okay, I'm at a point where I need some help. I need some guidance. Let me go to someone who knows more than me, who can, who can guide me. Did um, you were kind of speaking that, that you were humbled by, by Jerry. Um, Mm-hmm. As a teacher, maybe I'm, I'm just, I'm, I love this. Cause I, again, like, I feel like those are the hardest students to connect with no matter how much as a teacher, like I want to, to find a way to break that barrier. And I'm wondering if, was there like a moment that you specifically remember where you were like, Oh, maybe, maybe this person is here to help me, or, or maybe this is what I need for my next step in growth. Um, well, th- the beautiful thing about Jerry was that as tough as she was, she was also extremely nurturing. Like she would do little things. Like I remember I, early on in my time with her, she said, this is one of the more humbling things. She said, if you want to do this for a career, you have some serious work to do, fella. You know, that, that's, that's tough to swallow. And then I did a lot of the work. And then she said, okay, bring in an original. And I brought it in. And then she said, okay, now I want you to sing it. And I sang it. And she was like, you have such a beautiful voice and I love your compositions. So she would pepper in just little things to encourage me while also uh, humbling me. There was another thing, you know, when I was in my first year at Michigan, Barry Harris came and I played for him in front of the whole program and, and tons of people, probably a hundred people. And um, he, he ripped me a new one, man. He was like, you're good, but you're not original at all. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm 19. Like, you know, what the fuck do I know? And, but he just kept kind of, you know, he, he was relentless. He was absolutely relentless um, for probably 45 minutes straight, just, just kind of grilling me. And he would sit down on the piano to play some, some killing bebop shit and be like, you, you would never do that. And that, it was, it was a serious aspect. And then I saw Jerry and she was like, you know, she was like, she kind of gave me this vibe of like, you took it on the chin, like a man kind of thing, you know, like this is good job. And so, and then there were other things too in that earlier, you know, kind of formative years. Cause when I, when I baked, um, most people don't know this because they think of like, Oh, it's cookies and bread, but like, man, baking is a grueling job physically. It is absolutely grueling. When I was doing that job, I had an eight pack. I was in the best shape I've ever been in my entire life because for eight or nine hours straight, you're picking up heavy things. You're, you're pulling hot things out of the oven. You're climbing upstairs and putting 60 pound boxes up, uh, one on top of the other. And the person that I worked for was a, um, a decorated pastry chef with 20 years of experience and chefs are known for being, you know, everything in Anthony Bourdain's book, kitchen confidential about um, the intensity of a chef that that shit was all true. And he used to, you know, if I, if I made one little mistake, he would, he would dish me out and yell at me. And so I had to really, really develop fine uh, attention to detail. And that was extremely humbling too. I think it, it probably depends on the person, but for me, when I'm not perfect, that is enough motivation for me to get it together, you know? But I think for different children, different students, it's, everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. No, for sure. This is an interesting conversation to have after our last previous podcast. It, it, you should go look. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> because what you're talking about right now is, is uh, mastery. And mastery. And I don't think our last guest was talking about that. And I expressed my opinions on it in the moment. But I think that, for instance, to to be a Kobe Bryant, you know what I mean? To be an Anthony Bourdain, 
or to be a Thelonious monk. You have to be one original, and then you have to, you have to like painstakingly mold something into something that's beautiful. Because like when you were nineteen, you was playing some bullshit, and Barry Harris was like, "That's terrible," and and like to me, that's love, and that that yeah, that kind of right, that kind of feedback motivated you to to say, "Okay, I gotta try to figure out how to make this better." That's extremely important, man. You know. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, there's there's a saying my my good friend and roommate is from Morocco and and he taught me this actually just last week. It's it's like it's from Arabic but it translates something into like uh tough times make good people which creates good times. And I I really feel like that 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 applies because it's like okay, I'm stuck like I'm trying to do well but I'm not getting it right. And I need, I need to be humbled. I need to be taught the right way. And I need to follow those instructions very diligently. Like I like, you know, kind of the, the soldier mindset in the way, like let the person who knows lead you. And, and if you trust them and they're really knowledgeable in what they do, they will lead you to become the best that you can be because they'll show you the tools that are already inside yourself. I, I really, you know, I, I used to think about like doing, doing, Art and even life is almost like um, I am forming a sculpture. But I think the truth, I now I see it differently. And I think the truth is more like there's already a beautiful sculpture, and that is you. You're just chipping away little tiny bits here and there, little tiny bits, just to make it a little bit more perfect. And that goes on for the rest of your life. I mean, that's that's mastery in in, in my view. But it's already there. Like the beautiful sculpture is already there because it's you. It's already been realized. Darian, where'd you find this guy? I love him. <laughs> <laughs> At a jam oh, man, Darian and I. <laughs> man, we we Darian and I have had so many amazing conversations. He's in it. I mean, I'm just meeting you. You know, Greg, you seem awesome. Uh, Darian and I, we've had amazing conversations, and he has been an incredible friend these years i have to say darian is always always fucking reliable even man he he's like i remember he just had a kid and like a week later we're like talking and like you know sort certain ideas out and everything i'm like man this is this is a real friend right here this is someone you can count on and you know an, an amazing musician too i gotta say Russell, amazing I musician i appreciate you know I appreciate the best groove Fucking best groove, and we're in church, man. We used to take those people to church. We did for a long time. Yeah, I, I want to talk about church, Greg. Uh, Russell. Okay, I, we should. I, we, I appreciate what oh, you oh, come on, Darren. Come on, man. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta change the title of this podcast to "Why Darren Douglas Is." Didn't isn't that the first thing you said on this this podcast? <laughs> hey, man. Like, I just try to tell the truth out here, man. But but one one thing, and people who are listening to this don't know this, but uh, Russell is Jewish. He's a Jewish man from Connecticut, but uh, I would say is one of the most spiritually in tune per- people that I've ever met. And also probably one of the, like, I don't know, soulful people that I've ever met. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we played at this church, Greg, that was not normal. It wasn't a normal situation. And I'm just going to no. say it because, you know, people may disagree with this, but it, it was a church that was uh, inviting for everyone, no matter your sexuality. There was all kinds of people. There was drug addicts, and there, there were gay people, and there were straight people. There was black people, white people, Latinos. There was like all kinds of people in this church who had real problems and who had been through real situations. And Russell invited me to play at this church. I'll never forget. <laughs> he was like, it ain't, it ain't a regular church, man. You know, you know, he told me, and I was like, oh, it's cool, yeah. But you you you're not really prepared until you step into that door, and and he gave me an opportunity to learn how to not judge people based on what they look like or who they sleep with or if they done some crazy stuff in their past. You just judge people based on how they treat you and how they feel, and that's why I say that Russell is soulful because he's like. You 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 just very welcoming and open, and I'm just curious, like how you arrived there, like how are you free of judgment and just meet people where they are? 
Um, I don't know. It's interesting because I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up with that. Um, I think it, it just kind of gradually happened, I think, through the years, you know, because I grew up with only white people. Um, and, uh, you know, then I went, I went to college and I, you know, I, I remember my first black friend. I never had a black friend until I was 19. Um, and then that led to uh, my first Indian friend. And then that led to my first um, Japanese friend. And then gradually before I, you know, within a couple of years, I had, I had many friends from many places. I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm an extrovert, you know, tried and true. I'm not, there's no introvert in me. So I tend to make friends um, easily. My sister's the same way. Um, also, my sister and I are very close and she's a social worker and she is definitely very responsible for that too, especially in, in regards to, I think, having a different relationship with women than maybe some men do. You know, I was also raised by women because my parents separated young. So I grew up really with much more estrogen in the house, uh, much more of a, a feminine energy. Um, so there was that and, and, and just being open, I think, to, to wanting experience. Cause I, you know, when I first got to that church, I could see that everyone had been doing that singing gospel music for their whole lives. I could see that I was the only white guy there. I was definitely the only Jewish guy there. And I was the only straight guy there. But I, I immediately was like, I can learn something from these people. And I remember they invited me to a rehearsal um, this was, that was my audition. And it was just like, just play by ear. We're going to sing. And, um, you know, I, I was born with a good ear and I've worked super hard at developing my ear too, through the years. So I did. Okay. You know, I, I heard my way through all the songs and then, um, I talked to the pastor who we can talk about her, but she's an incredibly empathic and soulful person. And, I, I said, I'll give you what you want. I can, I, I can do that. Like, I know if I make the commitment to learn how to do this thing, I'm going to get there. And she, she said, okay. And that was it. And then I got the job and, and that job changed my life because, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of people rant on social media about like going to music school. Don't go to music school. My, this is what you got to do. Kids get a, a gig at a gospel church. You will learn three to 500 tunes in all 12 keys. You will, if you play piano, you will walk bass. If you play drums, you will learn dozens of different grooves. You'll learn all these different sounds and when to use them and the emotion in the room. And, and, oh no, now it's time for strings. Now it's time for flute. That is, and you'll make money. Hopefully it's the best musical training there is. Um, and then, you know, just the fact that in church, especially a church like that, it's so affirming. Um, and, you know, Darian, every, every week we heard people, we heard the worst things. I mean, we heard, you know, I remember there was a guy who, who was, he left Jamaica because he came out of the closet and his whole family was, was trying to murder him. They wanted to kill him. And so he was fleeing for his life and he found that our church. And there were stories like that every week someone's spouse died, someone has cancer, someone has HIV, um, someone was attacked, someone's homeless, you know? And I think when you're around that so much and you're feeling the emotions of that, it kind of just, I mean, it's, it's humility, but it also forces you to, to, to be empathic and say, oh, wow, you know, these people, I'm no different from them. I'm no different from them. And, and if anything, I'm here to serve them. You know, so um, that job, it's funny because I, I did that job for six years and I feel like I graduated with a master's in social work from doing that job. I feel like I should have an honorary MSW <laughs> because that was some social work, man, every week. And I remember talking to people afterwards too. They'd want to chat and, you know, they'd say, oh, the music blesses me or so on and so forth. Or they just talk about themselves, you know. And I would do my best Pastor Lynn impression to just be like, 
Mm. <laughs> really? You know, and I still use those tools today, like outside that when I, when I, people talk to me, you know, I try to, yeah, I, try to understand I, them. I would say, you know, besides the church that I grew up in and I don't, I don't actually even know if Greg went to church and we've been on each other for a long time. Oh yeah. That was the realest uh, religious experience that I've ever had. And so much so that Pastor Lynn married me and my wife, you, you know, that I remember. Yeah. yeah, I just needed that. That was some high level uh, spirituality happening up in there. You know what I'm saying? So, man, can I can I tell a quick story that relates to this? This is all about you, babe. Oh, man. Um, 2016. I don't think you were at the church yet. I um, I went to Ecuador. And um, I don't know if, if you told, I don't think I include this in my bio, but I'm bilingual. I speak Spanish fluently. And, and the reason is because uh, I dated this girl and, you know, anyway, um, I was in Ecuador and I went to this town in the mountains um, called Baños, which means bathroom, but it, it's also basically kind of like a valley. And I got up. I was with my friend from college. He was living there. He was uh, on a Fulbright scholarship um, studying communication in Ecuador. And I went to visit him. And um, we got up at six in the morning, sunrise, and we went on this bike bike ride from the top of the mountain in the city all the way to the bottom with the sun coming up. And um, that was, I, I like still feel it. And that was the closest, that was my, my deepest religious experience. What I remember, feeling when it was happening kind of I, like I thought about the church and I remember when I got back I talked to Reverend Lynn our pastor and I told her about it and I told her how I felt God in in, in there's probably like a few a few minutes and and she, you know and she she cried and it was it was and I did and it was so beautiful and and um I don't often really feel religious, but there have been moments where I, I have to just kind of tip my hat off and, and that and say, okay, okay, God, I, I see you, you know, I see you. I know what you're trying to do and thank you. And yes, I am grateful. Yeah. Darian, I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny because. Man, I talk a lot. I'm sorry. I'm I'm an extra. No, like Darian said. You know, yeah, and Darian dropped it in the most New Orleans way possible. He's like, all right, babe, it's all about you. <laughs> I know, Darian, you're so New Orleans with your drawl. <laughs> but uh, man, it's funny because as you guys were talking about church too, like, I mean, even within myself, like, you know, I, I went to a Jesuit school in high school. I went to a Jesuit mm. college. And, um, you know, while I wouldn't consider myself um, religious, I definitely would consider myself spiritual. And as I'm, as I'm listening to this, like so many things about you, I mean, this is literally the first time we've ever um, met each other or, or interacted at all. And, and I'm just kind of, there's so many um, parallels that I'm like thinking about th like things and experiences that I treasure within myself that, that you kind of um, seem to have also impacted you and from like having a job. You know, like I was having a conversation with our good friend Scott the other day, and we were just talking about musicians who've never had jobs. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I know, I know some of those. Yeah, and 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 we, I mean, we can dig into that for a second, but 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 also like just talking about how, you know, you, you're having you you your experience with like meeting friends of diverse backgrounds, not just having white friends, or even like being in a in a church with um, you know, just. Uh, just such a, again, a diverse group of people and experiences and stories. And as you're saying that, I'm just like, man, it just sounds so much a lot like, like my experience growing up in New Orleans. And I feel like all of those things are uh, treasures in my life to, to make it be who I am. And also gives me the ability to, to kind of like navigate this world very freely, you know? That's beautiful. Beautifully put. Yeah. So as I'm hearing this from you, I'm just like, bro, that's like exactly how I feel. <laughs> well, it's funny because sometimes I don't see it as a gift. You know, sometimes I see it as a curse in a way. Um, because, 
you know, striving to be great is, is a lot of work and, and the, and the challenge in it and the beauty in it simultaneously is that it never ends. And just when you think that you've arrived, you're, you're, you're so far, you're so incredibly far. I mean, like, I feel like I go through this all the time and then I start remembering all the things that I need to work on to get better as a musician. And I'm like, man, I'm going to be doing this till the end. But you know, like Dizzy Gillespie, his last day, he got up, he practiced and then he fucking died. Like what a way to go out. That was the end for him. He knew at the end in his last days, he was like, you know what? I need to work on some, some long tones. That's that's beautiful. Wow. Man, you, you know, <clears throat> yeah, with this idea of mastery and this continuous pursuit uh, of it, I'm just curious, when do we know as the, the three men that we are, when do we know when it's time to quit? Like, when is that? When is it? What do you mean? Like, for instance, you're working on a project or you're working on something at a certain point. All right, I got to quit. I got this, it's time to close this chapter and move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? I, for instance, Russell, because I remember when you were, it was, you felt in your soul that it was time for you to leave that church. And we had that conversation mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah. that was, that was hard for you because you love yeah. them. And also because you, like you say, you're a perfectionist, but like when, when, how did you know it was time to move on to the next thing? Well, I was fucking you know, sick of, of the same, I, I felt like I had, I had gotten everything that I could. And I, it, it was starting to feel too much like a job. And, um, like it wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore, but I remember that I had felt that way a year prior. And I, and, and this was actually a lesson that I learned from talking to you was that like, sometimes you think you're done, but you're not because the reason you think you're done is because you're, um, you're not giving it as much as you need to, like, you, you know, it'll give back to you what you put in. And I remember, no, I remember thinking, no, this is, I'm not done. There's more like, I, I I'd lost focus, get focused again. And I'm glad that that happened because another year of it was, was the right move. And then it, it happened kind of perfectly, the timing, because, you know, it was, I mean, it was kind of insane because the second that I quit, I got another church job, like, like that week out of thin air. It was, it was miraculous actually. It was really great. And I work for them now. You had the universe, you had to get up out the universe way, bro. It's always trying to give you some new shit, you know? But also, I think sometimes we don't decide when we're done. I think life kind of decides when we're done, you know? I mean, life can change so fast sometimes. It can change so fast. I mean, I think we want to be, we want to be prepared for those kinds of things. Because, you know, before you know it, it's like, you know, you could be, uh, well, you're married, but like, you know, I'm sure before you were with Shadia, like it was, it, you didn't know when you first went out with her, okay, this is going to be my wife. You didn't know you were going to have a kid with her and now you have a kid. And it's like, look how fast your life changed. And that would, it almost wasn't even in your control. Like it's something that happened to you, you know? And I think, I think that happens more than anything it's, is life decides for us when, when time, when then it's time to move on to the next thing. Um, but then there's also financial necessities and obligations as well, too. Sometimes we can't move on because we need the money. You know, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. I think, I think too, like just to, to throw in my three cents here on this one is, um, you know, I think that's like the beauty of music too, is that, you know, theoretically we all list, learn to listen, right? <laughs> And in all, all great music involves listening and then reacting. And for me, that was always the thing that, that I took away from working with Alvin Batiste is he always, again, like taught me to listen, mm. taught me to react. And sometimes my reactions weren't correct, but it, it taught me to listen to the universe, listen to the drum set, listen to the bass player, listen to the piano player, listen to whatever. And at the same time, I guess when it comes to life, you know, we are having these these signals that are calling us 
to to change, right? And and it might it could be like, hey, like you know, maybe you get a, a water bill; it's a thousand dollars, and you got to make some extra money, and and then yeah, you know, maybe maybe you have to adjust according to that, or or all the things that you just said too. Like we we have to be willing and humble to listen to where life is calling us, and also be humble enough to to accept that maybe the job as a baker is going to translate to some greater knowledge or experience that we can't see yet. And, um, or, you know, the experience as a bodybuilder or a musician or whatever time at a church, like all those things come, come back full circle at some point in our lives to, to serve us, you know, and had we not listened and, you know, maybe not been so stubborn, uh, you know, yeah, well, in the same place. But at the same time, the paradox of that is like we're all fucking stubborn because we're musicians. And there's how many times have we just been like, "No, nah, I can't hang out tonight. I got to practice." <laughs> oh man, so much. Still, yeah. So I guess I, I to, to me, I like I, I love like we got to embrace the paradox, man. Because in life, there's there's no you know right or wrong and all that kind of stuff. And you know, sometimes we have to know how to be go with the flow, and sometimes we have to be stubborn. And uh, very, very true. Hopefully someone's guiding us through those decisions. (laughs) Yeah, ideally. Man, we we haven't even talked about music yet. Or maybe. I know. All of this is music. All of it's music. (laughs) This is all music. Yeah. Why don't we take a second and we'll play one of your your tracks here. Uh, Sure. Russell, this one is called. This is the one with Sam and him. What's it called again? Uh, this is called Vivo Soñando, which is um, a Jobim tune, Antonio Carlos Jobim, um, which means in English, I live dreaming. Uh, it's one of his lesser known tunes, which is why we wanted to do it. And we did it in kind of a weird key as well. Um, and the record hasn't come out yet. It's, it'll come out later this year. Um, but we made it in February and um, we're working on mastering right now. This is this is mastered. Okay. So this might be the final, the final uh, mix that goes on the record. All right, y'all. Put your ears on this. Russell, we can't give them too much of it, man. They got to go out and get. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know it's good. That's beautiful, man. You know, just you cho- you. choosing that tune, I think, gives us a window into who you are, really. 
you know, because it, it felt so sensitive and, and I don't know, what, what was that? Why did you even choose it? Well, I love um, Jobim. He, he's one of my favorite composers. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a romantic. Uh, and, and, and not in a sappy lifetime channel way, in, in a real kind of like medieval um, kind of like knighthood sort of way. I, I love literature from, from that era. And I love, I love sort of that, that aesthetic. Um, and Jobim has, has that, that beauty, you know. Um, I really love this book, um, Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Marcia Marquez. And I read that around the time I was first getting into Jobim and the two kind of melded together and I started developing this sort of sense of who I was in relation to that sort of stuff. And I started seeing like, I'm, I'm a, a romantic person. I, I have this affinity for, for um, art and beauty and the sublime and spirit. And, and I love, you know, hard hitting stuff too. I mean, we do some of that on the record too, but that's, that's a time and place. And I, I only like that at a certain time. And when the, when it calls for it, I, I really like to explore dynamics and um, more subtle sounds, especially with the piano, because the piano is, is a, it's a, you know, it's a lovely, delicate instrument that's meant to be caressed. You know, sometimes you got to hammer the shit out of it, but, you know, there's also a time and place for, for really making it sing. Um, and I was lucky to record on that piano too um, at the studio in Brooklyn called Benny's Wash and Chai. And, and he really, um, the engineer, Bennett Pastor, he really takes excellent care of that piano, mic'd it really well. Um, amazing engineer as well. Yeah. When, when you play, what do you hope to translate to your audience? Like, what, what, like, again, like what, what experience are you trying to impart for the people listening to your music? That's a, that's a deep question. Um, I think it depends on what, what the gig is. Um, but I think probably generally it's, um, I know life is really hard. Um, but let's all, let's all be in this moment together and experience the, the, the majesty of, of life, because it is, it is also amazing in the midst of the suffering. You know, I even think the suffering is like the, the best part in a lot of ways. Um, and, 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 and that sort of kind of like, and I really learned that from playing in this church that Darren and I worked in. I really learned it there because when you, you know, looking at the faces of the people and, and seeing, um, and seeing their suffering, you know, the things that a lot of the, those people went through, like, I can't relate. I haven't been through those sorts of things, you know? Um, I, I think I really got from that the sort of understanding of, 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 uh, I don't know, almost like pretty, this pretty aesthetic. Like let's let's like let's all be sensitive here in this moment together and and support each other. I, I think I really got that from church. And I try to bring that into secular music as as well. Yeah, I, I love that, man. It's uh there, there's a vulnerability that I think that I was picking up on in, in this particular song, you know. And I think musicians, we all like just playing any music is complete. Like I'm just bucket naked out there, just letting you see who I am on the inside. And, but especially on a song like this, it's like, okay, I'm going to really get vulnerable with y'all and like, let's all get in here and maybe we're going to all cry together. You know, maybe I'll tell you my deepest, darkest secret and we'll all take turns doing that. And, and that's to me like takes music to the end the life experience to the next level. Like you're saying, like the, the suffering is the best part because it allows your neighbors to be vulnerable too. And it, it allows them to express empathy. Yeah. And uh, that's what makes life beautiful 
if we can achieve that and, and yeah. avoid judgment, right? Well, it's a moment to moment thing. But, you know, the thing is like, we're all, as musicians, we're all romantics. I mean, like we can all, we can act macho and everything like that, but we're all sensitive people because you can't play music and not be sensitive. It literally is, if you're doing it with other people, then you're, you're being sensitive to what they're doing. And if you're doing it by yourself, you're being sensitive to what you're doing and what the other people around you are doing. Cause um, you know, sometimes you're playing for other musicians. Sometimes you're playing for people in church. I work in the dance world. So I work for dancers. They have a totally different aesthetic in what they're doing, specifically ballet. So that's something else. And that's a very sensitive sort of job because they're doing these very elegant movements that I can't, I can't replicate. But in that elegance is, is, um, is sensitivity and the soul and romance. Um, yeah, all the, all the macho stuff from, you know, that a lot of, a lot of musicians, myself included, sometimes carry around, you know, that's, um, let's leave that in the gym. You know, because like, yeah, we're all we're all sensitive. Us musicians, we're all sensitive. We have to be to do this thing with any justice, which we do because we're all pros. You know, there's a part of me now that wants to bring this all the way back to you having a job, and okay, and and the reason why is because because you were speaking a lot about uh, connecting with the audience and being empathetic to what you know. Say life is hard, and sometimes as musicians, we have to consider that. The, the music is not purely about an academic achievement or a musical achievement, but it is about creating that connection with people. And, yeah. and, and I've, you know, again, br- bringing this back to the jobs and stuff like that. Sometimes I feel like those experiences give us the humility to realize that our work is not purely for ourselves or purely for the, the, the achievement of, you know, musical greatness or whatever. But, you know, when you're baking some bread, it's for people to eat. So they, they have sustenance to live. And, and the same thing with, with the, the sounds that you're saying, and, you know, the, the vibrations are there for the sustenance of life. Um, mm-hmm. So I was curious. So now what, what having a job, what has that done to your perspective on life as a musician? Well, it's interesting. Cause you said, you know, baking at uh you know this thing that people need nobody needs cupcakes <laughs> nobody needs to eat cookies they do it because it makes them happy and that was something i liked about the job i was like you don't you guys just you want to this makes you feel good this is literally i'm making drug like a drug for you which is sugar and you know some salt and butter fat you know um but having jobs was definitely good i mean there have been times when I've been here too, like in my journey in New York where I've had jobs, like during the pandemic, you know, cause I didn't work for a year and a half and I was dating someone who had a dog walking business. So I, you know, I walked dogs and that was, was um, an experience because, you know, it's, I'd rather be doing music, but being surrounded by loving, innocent creatures that just want to, you know, play and, lick your hands is is really really nice too and you're outside and you're getting fresh air and everything like that um you know i i've had a lot of jobs man like when i was when i first got here i had a social work job working with kids in foster care so i would i was like a like a life coach for for kids you know without parents so i would spend you know six hours eight hours with a kid a whole day that i didn't know at all and i you know we'd go around new york and just talk and have fun, you know? And, um, and I, I don't know, I did landscaping and, um, a lot of like, you know, physically intense stuff, bar back. I I bar backed. Um, I worked at Disneyland. I played piano there. I worked on a cruise ship. Um, I, 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 I baristaed, you know, I've had to do a lot of different stuff through the years. Um, and I think that it really, was nothing but positive uh, for being a musician because music is the best job. Even a shitty gig is better than most jobs. You know, I mean, the thing with baking was like, 
I mean, even if there's not a lot of people at your gig, no one's clapping when you pull 10 things out of the oven. So, you know, you're not getting that much recognition for the super hard work you're doing. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I really appreciate doing music so much um, because, because it's so gratifying. And I think jobs, having a real job, you're a teacher, so you know, that's a real job. Um, that, that will make you a better worker in general. It'll make you easier to work with and more cooperative, I think. It'll make you much more of a team player because it's not going to be fun a lot of the time. It's going to suck a lot. And you're not going to get the, uh, the benefits and perks of, that you get from doing music, from doing a gig. Like I remember so many gigs where people complain about the food on a gig. I'm like, motherfucker, you're getting free food. Like, are you kidding me? And like a pretty good hourly rate. Like, stop whining. Are you like, you should try working in a kitchen. Work in a kitchen for one day. Let's see how you do. Okay. Make eggs for rich people. See how you feel after doing that for a solid day. Okay. That shit is hard work. Okay. And you have to carry like a hundred boxes that weigh 50 pounds each do that, you know? So, I mean, I I'm super grateful for, for having had those experiences and I'm using, you know, I'm open to if something comes up again in the future, that's not necessarily music related. If, if, if the timing's right, I would do it. I mean, I, up until the pandemic, I was doing a lot of, and even during the pandemic, I was doing a lot of translation work, um, Spanish translation, and I did some translation for a um, um, social services company, and I was doing some legal stuff, and that was unpaid. But um, before that, I was doing parent-teacher conferences and um, in New York City public schools, you know. And I, I actually quite enjoyed doing that. But you know, it's it's a job, and it doesn't pay well. And um, I think those experiences are really valuable, actually, for for being a better person, you know, I, I think being a better person can only help you be a better musician, really. Absolutely. I'm I'm gonna I'm a help you answer this question too, Russell, because yeah, please. something that resonates with, with me and Greg and, and our organization is uh, you don't adhere to the myth of a broke artist. Is like, Fuck that. Yeah. You just don't even, it's like, oh, I'm not going to be broke. I'm going to go do these things. So because, you know, we were having the conversation, like you say, you're, you're working with uh, ballet companies, you know, you're doing church things. You're also playing um, other gigs and jazz gigs and stuff. But yeah. you're not like saying, OK, I'm just going to be broke as hell playing at X Club and, and that's it. I'm just I'm just mu- making this one thing. This is the only thing I can do with music. You know, you think outside the box and say, how many different things? Who needs piano? Let me go do those things. Because those things pay so much more money um, than making art music. And right. that that's, I think, in my opinion, that's one of those things that you get from when you do work. Because me and Greg got the same fucking <laughs> ideas. Like, okay, what else can I do? Because I'm not going to be broke out here. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, New York's an expensive town. And I like, you know, I like to live well. I like clothes. And I like you know, a nice, a nice, uh, old fashioned at the bar, you know, I like, I like to go on dates and that costs money and having a girlfriend costs money and buying a house, which I haven't done yet, but I hope to do someday. That stuff costs money. I think it's really like, how can I, how can I do the thing that I want to do, which is for all of us music, but also live well. I mean, that makes so much more sense to me than just being a broke broke artist. I mean, fuck all that shit, dude. Like that's a, that's a fast track to a short life. And, and I want to live a long, a long life and, and have opportunities to do a lot of different things. So like, I feel like it's a, it's, there's some kind of sacrifice, you know, cause it's like, okay, well, you're not doing necessarily every gig you want to do, but you're doing well and you're making money. And, and that, you know, it's, it's more balanced. I, I think it's definitely more balanced. I mean, when I first came here, I definitely wanted to be that artist too. But very quickly, you know, talk about humbling. New York City is a humbling place, and and it will continue to humble you um, on and on and on. And so, and just when you think New York's kick, kicked your ass, they'll give you a little more shit, just like one more, just like jab to your nose, you know. So, you know, chew on that motherfucker. That's how this place works, and and money is 
fucking key. It really is. It doesn't solve all your all of our problems, but it makes life a hell of a lot easier. So, you know, um, I definitely, I, I hear that. Yeah. And I feel like you and I, and, and Greg, I feel like you're, you're the same way too. Like Darren and I have talked a lot about this, how like we're musicians, but we're also kind of just like regular dudes, you know? Like we like to just talk shit and like talk about girls and like have fun and like, you know, talk about funny shit and comedy. It's like, I, I'm a musician, but like, I, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not really a nerd, you know, I'm kind of just like a regular dude. Like dare I say, I'm kind of a bro and I totally accept it. I'm totally fine with it. Okay. When I was in college, I partied with oh, man. And, and, and I don't feel a little bit embarrassed about it. Okay. Uh, you need workout tips. I'll give them to you. You need sensitivity tips. I'll give them to you too. You know, like what, you know, what, whatever, but we, I think, I think we really value living well, Darren and I both. Um, and that's, you know, I feel like some artists, maybe they don't need as much or maybe they don't value that. Maybe as long as they're doing their art, they're happy. But um, yeah, that's, that's for the birds. It's funny because the, the, you mentioned musicians complaining that the free food isn't good enough or something. And that's literally what like, that was the, um, the diving off point into our complaining about musicians without jobs. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, my God. Dude, yeah. They weren't getting fed on the gig, but yeah, I, I do. I do. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. I definitely don't want to be broke. That's hell no, man. You know, Fuck you said that. I remember one time my dad said this, and this, this might be a point. Maybe I should go back to therapy for this, but um, he said that love doesn't pay the bills. And, and while I completely agree with you that money does not solve all problems, it does make life easier, <laughs> you know, way easier and way easier, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's hard out here, man. You know, even, even now, like, you know, I've been transitioning between jobs and, and I'm hearing about retirement, like people who are 20, 25 years, 30 years ahead of me, and they're fantastic musicians and they're concerned about retirement and how they're going to financially make it and things like that. And so I, I think, you know, a thing that Darren and I bond over a lot is, is that we want to set people up for that kind of success now because we, as we, yeah. we all have to address that sooner than later and every day that we you wait it makes uh that that much more challenging and yeah and the thing is too also i want to preach this to musicians too y'all when when you have financial options that doesn't deter your you know you from making great music or anything like that if if anything i feel like if you can set yourself up you can create music for your entire life you know if you can do that into your fifties, your sixties. You can have kids and grandkids and a house and a mortgage and a car and still make music. Absolutely. Yeah. Cats have been doing it for since time immemorial. Miles yeah. Rich. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. Both yes, cold. he was. Hey, listen, Russ, y'all, we, we're going to have to shut this down, man. Unfortunately, we, we have reached our hour, y'all. But wow. before we go, before we go, Russell, we want to give you an opportunity to tell all the people where they can buy your body building T-shirts, belts and shoes, CDs, <laughs> how they can uh, hook up with you online and all those other things. Man. Um, I unfortunately am not super um, tech active. I mean, I have an Instagram and a Facebook. I use it a little bit um, to promote myself. I should do better. I'm in the process of getting a website together, but you can follow me on uh, social media for now on Instagram. Uh, my handle's at Russ Cranes. The album, I don't know when we're going to put it out yet. Um, I'm, I would say probably around the end of the summer and it'll be available on all streaming platforms. I do, however, have one thing up on all streaming platforms. Another song, the other one that I gave you, I recorded last year. Um, if you type in on Spotify or wherever you like to listen to music, Doves Peak, D-O-V-E-S uh, space P-E-A-K. There's a song that I wrote, music and lyrics to, it's called Part of Your Life. It's myself and uh, an incredible singer, friend of mine, Nate Chung, and um, she's singing, I'm playing Wurlitzer. So that's one thing that I have out for now. 
um, but otherwise y'all are just gonna have to wait till the album comes out and I'll be promoting promoting it a lot on social media as as the time comes near. In the meantime, y'all find Russell on Instagram, Russell Cranes, K-R-A-N-E-S. That's right. uh, drop drop him something in his DMs, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Russell. Thank you so much for coming on and, and just, thank you guys. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely, bro. All right, y'all. My name is Darian Douglas. I'm Gregory Ajid. And uh, we'll catch y'all next time. Peace.